join us as we take a look behind the scenes with the independent musicians of Louisiana. Learn about upcoming projects before they drop. Experience the rich heritage of iconic venues and get first-hand accounts of exclusive events. Musicians are remarkable people. Get to know them, their struggles, and the inspiration for their art. NewOrleansMusicians.com is dedicated to uplifting the artists and providing them with the tools necessary to elevate their craft. We shine a spotlight on them, as well as highlight the music scene and educate everyone with our interviews, album reviews, and music scene news. This is NewOrleansMusicians.com. Alright, my name is Justin Curry, I'm a violinist. Um, I've been playing professionally since I was 16 years old, and um, this is what I do for a living. Yeah. Um, where are you originally from? Um, I was born in a small town called Madison, Ohio, about I don't know, like 45 miles east of Cleveland. I always say just Cleveland because, you know, it's Ohio, it's cow country. <laughs> right, right, right. And um, in your household, were any of your family members uh, musicians? My entire family is musical from both sides, um, both my mother and my father. Interesting, long story. My father really wasn't much uh, in my life, but he was a drummer based in Houston. And he came here and play, actually played in New Orleans all the time. And uh -huh. you heard that uh, famous recording of the Flintstones, where they have the jazz version of like, da, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. that's him on the drums. Oh, Stan yeah. Lee, that's my father. Um, but my mother's side, too, my mother used to sing. My, my aunt used to be a professional singer. Yeah. She used to do clubs and stuff, mm -hmm. and jazz stuff, you know, when Cleveland actually had a music scene that's, that died in the 90s and stuff, when they tore all the clubs and put in dive bars and stuff like that. Gotcha. And, and student housing. But um, I have lots of musical family. Um, I even have some family members who are part of the Cleveland Orchestra, and they wanted me to do stuff for a while with them, but that was... That was years ago, years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess that that uh, played a big role in you picking up an instrument. Was it was it violin at first? Um, I tried a few things before. Violin was my choice of an instrument. You know, some, some parents want you to, yeah, you know, oh, you should try this instrument or do this, or they throw you in lessons for stuff. No, the violin was my own initiative. Um, and I just said I always wanted, it's the most beautiful instrument I ever heard. You can do so much with it compared to, you know, anything else out there. Yeah, it definitely yeah, is evocative of emotion, for sure. Oh, it is. Um, what were some of the other instruments that you tried early on? Well, I can do basic piano, I can do basic guitar. Um, funny enough, I was a trombonist in high school, and my teacher, because they didn't know my violin work, um, uh, they didn't know at times, so one of the things I was actually playing professionally, I didn't really tell anyone in my schools, we didn't have an orchestra program. Mm -hmm. um, I was such a bad trombonist, my, my teacher said, you'll never have a career in music, and I laugh at her to this day. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. She's like, oh, I was like, I don't see you ever having a career in music. I'm like, okay, yeah. have fun. <laughs> That's so funny that you hear that all the time from great successful people, that they were told that they'll never... Small, succeed in that vein, you know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. You see that all the time. I, I laughed it off, and she's like, why are you laughing? I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. you'll see why. <laughs> well, you know, I think, it, and it's kind of like what people say about, um, you know, what happens to, to you uh, throughout the course of your life. Uh, it's kind of like the, the way you react to things in life, whatever life deals to, oh, yeah. to you, you know, if you react negative to it or you put it down mm -hmm. then you'd never be sitting here today but exactly. you know you do the opposite and you, you say okay well i'll show you you know what oh, i'm saying yeah. and that's what you're made of you know? you know the funny thing is a lot of people say well i'll show you but for me it was more like ah you're so much you don't know and i'm just gonna leave it at that and uh you wait 20 10 years when i'm the uh, most known uh, people from our school musically. I yeah. Mean, Did they have a big band? Oh yeah, we had a big band. We also had a jazz band. I, I think this, I think she realized that was a mistake because they did a jazz band thing and uh, they said, oh, if you play a different instrument, come and play, do a solo for our uh, for the show. I did and I had a full standing um, applause. They're like, what? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I told you. Nice. I told you. How so, old were you? Uh, I was like, 15, 16, when that happened. I was already starting to play professionally at that point, and yeah. no, one, no one really knew it. Because I, I tried to keep that out of my, my, my school life. I was always practicing. I had a few friends, but I mostly stuck to myself, weirdly enough, because I, I was concentrating on this. Um, 
Oddly enough, though, I was my school's uh, student council president, if that kind of thing. So everyone knew me, but it's that weird feeling that I felt like I had a double life in high school because it's sure. like I was doing so many things out of high school, but everyone thought, oh, it's, it's Justin. I'm like, yeah, just um, no one expected me to graduate a year early. Um, no one expected me that year to go to Japan. And um, I also played a lot of music when I was over there. I did that as a musician, and people just like, what, wait, what? From Ohio, a small town. I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, I have, I have, I've been planning this for years, guys. <laughs> I didn't let anyone really know about it because you know you don't, yeah, you know don't don't announce your plans before you're ready. But it's yeah. it's just one of those things that when I was a kid, I knew that if I wanted to get anywhere I wanted to in life, I couldn't just stay in you know my small town. And when you grow up in a small countryside town like that, and I'm always different, I'm multiracial, multi, you know, thing, you know, a very small, isolated community where, uh, if I still remember correctly, a few people were still dating their fourth cousins in my, in my school. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, I'm like, well, that's we went that far. That's a hint. I'm like, well, that's that's how close that community. Some people have been there since you know they moved out here off the boat and they got here and they just been in that part of the country. Their family's been there for generations. Yeah. And they, they, that's fine. I have nothing wrong with that. But I, if I wanted to succeed in what I wanted to do, I knew I couldn't stay. Sure. It's just, the, Ohio has some of the best music uh, education places and universities and uh, academia in the world, but you really can't make money out there doing it. Gotcha. And, uh, and so reason I ended up not doing any academia stuff. I had private tutors, so okay. uh, I was playing professionally before. You know, I was like, why didn't you go to conservatory? Well, I was already playing professionally at that point. I don't think I like, I don't need to have a degree on top of that just to prove my point. Yeah. I still went to university and I still dabbled in the music while I was there. What told you that the violin was it because you tried other things early on? It's the feeling. String instruments, I think, are fundamentally different, at least bowed string instruments, fundamentally different than any other instrument. Um, the trumpet or trombone <coughs> or even guitar, um, this plus this plus type of strum or to push button below to this degree equals note. Um, the violin, though, Everything's controlled by a fluid bow, mm -hmm. which means so much more delicacy, so much fluidness, so much more feeling can be put in an instrument like this because it's less of a mechanical device, it's just an extension of your body. Makes sense. And that's one of the things that's just like, I always wanted to feel an instrument. And I don't think for any other instrument out there, at least for me, you can't feel it like a violin. Mm -hmm. And for all the audiences wondering if the cat, because you know everyone, if you can see, I'm not sure if you can see it now. That's bebop down there, so because <laughs> everyone asks about that stuff eventually. <laughs> and it was uh, it was an early age that it spoke to you, and you took it on. I was full -time. later than most. I'll tell you that because most people started this when they're like two or three years old. I really didn't get serious playing the violin until I was like 13, 14. Okay, I so, got you. But I went very. I I I got I, I caught up quickly. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. remember. Um, I feel terrible for this. This is I went to a violin shop. Uh, it was Peter Zaret's violins in Cleveland, Ohio. No, not Cleveland Heights. It's um, it's in Mayfield, Ohio, which is maybe ten minutes away from Cleveland Heights. And I was uh, used to test his violins, and I had a family coming here. Their kid has been playing for ten years, and I remember I was playing a, a condensa, and they're like, "Oh, how many years have you been playing here?" Well, it's like I've been playing for like nine months, <laughs> and just like, "Oh," I'm like. Let me ask, because um, I, I've got a son, Maddox, that's starting out uh -huh. on violin mm -hmm. this year at school. Uh -huh. um, what, would you, what would you impart to people, young people that are just starting out, um, I guess, specific to the violin? You know, it's great to learn violin as a, through your educational program. It's great to do what your teachers tell you. Um, but... Also learn in your own time and how you like to feel it. What is that? Um, because if you don't, you're going to... Um, there's a rut in music, I feel, that you follow exactly how someone teaches you and somehow your body feels like it is. Like, I don't play with a shoulder rest. I don't play with a chin rest, which are very popular. Um, that's because my body type, you know, shorter neck, broader shoulders, allows me to do that with ease. 
Um, play how it feels comfortable for you. Do some experimentation. Um, everyone's technique is a little different. Sure. And I, one thing I don't like about modern music teaching, especially if you want to get to a certain high level of it, mm -hmm. um, a lot of it's by the book. This is how you do it. And I disagree with a lot of that because it's like every person's different. A violin is not like a trumpet or a, a piano. You actually have to make the violin fit you. It's a part of your body. You have to make it feel you. Yeah. And you have to feel it. And that means a little bit of adjustment to either technique. Sometimes have fatter fingers. Like everyone thought I would be a great cellist because my fingers are like little sausages. Um, but, you know, I was able to deal with it because, you know, what, what um, the great uh, Isaac Perlman, if you know him, he's a, he's a very fine, famous violinist. And I, I saw one of his videos, um, I want to hear how he did it because it's like, oh, how his fingers, you know, the size of mine, how he says, be so graceful. And it's like, well, what you can do is because they're so big, you just, you don't even, for some notes, you don't even have to put your finger down. You just move it slightly up and you're already at the next note. Sure. And it actually, in some ways, makes it easier, you know? And it's like, you, you sometimes you got to just, you know, do how your body and how you feel the instrument. Yeah. And it's a good thing to listen to your teachers. I mean, don't ignore them. Um, but at the same time, if something is working for you one way and it's not working the way they're teaching you, do it the way you feel, because you're the one who has to play the music. You're the one who's making the music work. Push it to your direction. You have to be able to be, get outside of that box. And sure. I always believe that true brilliance in the world doesn't come in an instruction book. It doesn't. It comes not only with knowing what other people do, but it's also being able to figure it out yourself and yeah. feel what it is. Brilliance is being comfortable with it. Yeah. And I think that's something that's missing in a lot of music and violin pedag uh, pedagogy nowadays. Um, it's very, has to do exactly by the book, do this, do that, and I think that takes so much variance, so much warmth, so much, I think, I wanna say the genius of the, in the instrument, because it's more than just, anyone can read a book and say, this is how you do it. You have to be able to figure out how you fit yourself in the sure. instrument, yeah. and I think that's something that's missing from modern day string programs. Because yeah. a lot of it is do this plus this, have fun, do your concert. Okay, that's good. Yeah, and it's like it's more than that. If you want, especially if you want to get to a high level, you got to be able to figure your way out through this. How you want to do this, how you feel the instrument. Yeah, it's like there is a relationship with yourself. How you put yourself with your instrument, especially if you want to do this professionally, is something you do with yourself. It's, it's, it's a whole nother, it's a reflection on how you treat yourself. It's a reflection on how you look at yourself. It's a reflection on how you want to be. And musicality, brilliance, is something that comes, I'll always say, from the person, mm -hmm. from the individual. It's great to learn from other people. It's learning to also follow ideas of, the, of other greats. But you have to make it work your way. Sure. And I think that's the brilliance of it. And I yeah. think that if we put a little bit more of that in, into strings, or and well, I think anything you do, anything, if you want to be great at something, you've got to be able to do it in a way that puts, hey, Bebo, um, a way that puts you, you know what I mean? And you, you have to choose your, your, your destiny. You yeah. have to be able to put your own... Uh, brilliance into it and I think that's lacking yeah. a lot of things nowadays they certainly can't teach improvisational material oh no they can't and teach that's that that's something I um I interviewed a <laughs> excuse me I interviewed a, a saxophonist mm -hmm. and he started out in school band well it was it's like a um, extracurricular mm -hmm. course that he took and um that's all he knew was on paper you know oh yeah locked into the grid and then for the first time being able to play with a band with no sheet music in front of him and just kind of do his own thing for mm -hmm. solos and things like that. He said it was incredibly freeing. Oh, it is freeing. And a lot of violinists can't do that. And a lot of fillers can. But a lot of classical violinists, there's yeah. none of that in the repertoire system. And I think that's, that's a big shame because that creative side is also what works very yeah. well in learning to do your sheet music too, because you can add so much to a piece. It's like, yeah. everyone's like, well, do exactly as it's written on the paper. And I don't think that that's, that's really, a machine can do it's not that. not meant to be mechanical, yeah. exactly. Yeah. machine can do it. AI can easily do that. Yeah. Like, write out um, a musical prompt, a musical level of a, part, a piece playing this by this, sure. in this feeling. Yeah. Great. 
we haven't come to the point that have the complexity of a human thought yet. You can still tell. Exactly. On the other end, you know. And I'm thinking, like, at this age, you can make something technically brilliant, digitally computer, but if you can add that it lacks a human warmth yeah. to it. Right. And I think yeah. that's something that'll take a long time for it to actually get to that point. Um, as far as from a consumer perspective, mm -hmm. when you were young, were there uh, albums, tapes, uh, was there a lot of music in your house? Um, a lot in my house, but it's interesting, Max, because my family was old school. Like, my grandmother used to listen to, like, old country. Uh -huh. uh, my aunt used to look, cause I have, I had, a, I lived in a multi-generational household. My, my father was one there, but it was longest time my mother and my grandmother, then my mother and my aunt. Uh, and I had a twin sister. Um, she used to sing a lot. Um, but from that point of view, we, we had a little bit of everything like I did. We heard a lot of disco, a lot of rock, yeah, um, a lot of classical. I, it was, I was big in the classical stuff. Really? And oddly enough, a lot of Japanese music, just because I liked to study when I was younger, the uh, Eastern world. Like, oh, yeah, Japanese, Japan, anime, all this stuff, which is great, but I also like to look at the the cultural part of point of view, which I sure. think that there's, there's a lot to be learned from that, a lot of ideologies that I, I, I find is brilliant. And um, music-wise, I think it's under-appreciated. Uh, sure. It's like when I was younger, it's like I had a choice to go anywhere I wanted playing. Like, why would you want to go to Japan? It's like, because if you want to actually hear music from all over the world, from anything from classical to to uh, to uh, um, uh, bossa Nova um, to traditional Asian music. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You can play the, all three of those gigs on a single day. I did that. <laughs> there, there was a time. Let me tell you the funniest thing. I used to start out with a brunch show uh, with either classical or jazz or easy listening. Uh, later in the day, I would be playing either a jazz regular show or some or the traditional Japanese group of the Kyoto. Um, and then later it would be a night show, so that was usually classical. And then like at midnight, or sometimes I would play an EDM bar playing violin. So it's like, you know, with a DJ. So it's like, you can experience that in Japan. Yeah. That just living, just being in Tokyo, you can experience and do that. And you know, when you're young and you have as much energy, and I'm glad I'm 30 now, but I can still, I'm lucky I can still pull that off. But you know, when you're that young, it's like, just keep feeding me what, you know, sure. all these different things. And I learned so much musically from then. I think it's something that's underappreciated. Like, oh, go to Vienna, go to Europe. And it's like, I love Europe. It's a beautiful place. But there's so much variance that I think that the music world over or underappreciates or overlooks. Really? Um, yeah, musically in Japan. It's, a, it's so many brilliant artists. Yeah. And, and I just love it some of the best artists I've ever met out there and some of my people that I've um, you know felt as you know technically brilliant yeah. and creative well they had a they had sort of a hotbed of a scene in the 70s for for jazz oh yeah and they were they were highly they were inspired by um, American jazz exactly. greats and but they still carried their their own sound mm -hmm. with it you know we well, you know what the scary thing is and I love New Orleans and I got to say this but I sometimes feel there's a bigger jazz scene in parts in some districts in Tokyo than all of New Orleans. It's possible, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, you'll see five or six places on Frenchman and then, you know, on Bourbon Street, it's all cover bands. Right. There's entire districts when there's like 20 buildings, 25, 30 buildings and just on a the street. They're all doing jazz that night. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and I, I think it's like something we're looking at. I love this city. I love New Orleans. But it's just that amazingness that I think that you know as a musician as a working musician that I think that people you know don't see and it's like that's one reason I went over there because you know just so much of it yeah I mean this was the birthplace of jazz uh, down here but I feel like they kept that stuff going a lot longer than we have like yeah. if you want to come down here you could see like um, what is it called um, Preservation Hall, mm -hmm. and yeah, that's great. That's all great stuff. And but it's like this is one of the few places in America where big ja big brass bands can actually make money. Yeah. And I'm like, when I was in Japan, go major major city. There's about three or four of them that's still making money out there. Yeah, you don't see it too often anymore. And they used to tour the United States. Was there uh, a difference in the structure of the, um, I guess 
the musicians out there? Were they mainly big bands or mainly solo artists or a little bit of oh, everything? Oh, a little bit of everything. You know, one thing a lot about, I learned about musicians and musicians no matter where you are. Yeah, sure. Um, um, and if you're a musician over there, you get to escape a lot of the rigidity in many ways, except for classical. Some of there's still a lot of rigidity in that, but even then there's some of the things that are just very lax mm -hmm. compared to the rest of Japanese society, which as a musician I loved because I was able to, you know, it's kind of like here, you, you go to a show, you enjoy your thing, and then everyone goes meets out a restaurant afterwards and you get you know, piss drunk, uh, right. and you party, and you know, and it's like no other part of Japanese, I mean, there's a lot of Japanese culture that does that, but if you're like a salary man and you do, you do, you know, you get pissed drunk afterwards, you party, but you work and 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 you work, and, uh, and you know, as a, as a musician, you don't have to do as many hours, you still hard work, it's music, yeah. so it's still, you know, it's still, it's still, but you didn't have to do like a 12-hour day every day. Would you say, because I mean, this is my perception of mm -hmm. it, would you say that their culture is rooted in discipline? Discipline and appreciation of that discipline. Sure. Um, uh, to the point of an art form, I would say. Yes. And yeah. they think, they look at it, people can do art over there, is, is, I think are much more appreciated over there than over here. Uh, at least nowadays. Because, I mean, the most appreciated artists you see out here are the ones are, you know, making millions of dollars, Hollywood. There's nothing wrong with it. That's also great to have because they have that everywhere. Um, but the problem is, is that a lot of outside of that pop is kind of ignored out here. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of the... Um, we use a culture out here like it's one thing I don't usually do bar shows because you're thrown into a room and you have to play music for a few hours and it's mostly tips and you know and then there's most of the people are just you know it's just background noise it is it's not a focal point it's, it can be irritating at times I'm sure yeah and it's like for me it's like well I think music is worth more than just a background noise at that point I mean you can put a tape on for that but um I just don't think there's an appreciation that they, they used to. Or, I wouldn't want to say that because Americans are a very appreciative culture. We do like our music. But I just think there's something that people are afraid to say, like, that's good and I can enjoy this without reservation. And I feel like there's something in American culture nowadays that says, well, that, that was good, but... You know, we have 50,000 other problems. Too. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, I mean, pop culture, I mean, it's in the name. Oh, yeah. um, and youth-centric at that. And that, that can be the blind leading the blind, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, before we started filming, you had mentioned that you had come down to New Orleans before. Oh, um, I played shows here either with my own project or uh -huh. with other people. Well, I was going to ask, what was the chronology from uh, you leaving Ohio? Did you go to Japan first or did you come J down to New Orleans? Japan first, but I, my four and a half years in Japan weren't oh, totally just four and a half years just there. It was a year or a year and a half stint and then back, uh -huh. and then a two-year stint and then back, and then on and off, back and forth. Uh -huh. And in between there, I'd usually do my own stuff when I was here. And I've come here a few times, but it was for the larger venues or with someone else. And um, when you're not a local here, it feels different. Sure. It feels completely different. Because, you know, you have your big show and your traveling show, so you usually get a bigger venue and you get, a, you know, a better pay. And it's just... You know, I mean, I didn't expect all of that when I came down here for as, you know, as a stint for a longer time, but I just, the music scene out here is so different. It's scary because it's like, there's a, there's an article I read, my uh, friend Mem, he was a, he's a, uh, Mem yeah, Mem Chem, Mem Chem. Um, he sent a um, article out saying that there's some places even hard to hand out $100 to people, and it's like, this is New Orleans, like, what? And I, and I, I see where it's coming from, but I think there's a lot of, it's hard to say this, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I feel like there's a lot of greed and expectations when it comes to that. A lot of what? Greed. Greed. And expectations, because there are times, and this is everywhere, there's, there's a certain venue in Cleveland when I was younger, um, as a restaurant, I used to bring money in. I used to do like a weekly show, and I would bring about 20, 25, 30 people. 
Now, this was a restaurant, not a like a super high fancy place, but it was like a vegetarian vegan place and mm-hmm. higher price items. And when I did that, you know, when they're average paying $30, $40 a check, that's a lot of money they're making off of me. And when I first went there, because I was young and naive, I said, oh, $50. You guys are seemed like you said you guys were in, in the best spot right now. I was like, yeah, it'll just be fun. I'll just have other gigs in the city. I'll just, you know, it'll be fun. But when I started bringing in more and more people, it's like, hey, you guys are making, you know, by the time you get drinks done and stuff like that, you're making about six or 700 bucks off of me. And that's just from people buying food. And that's other people who, you know, drink the coffee and they sit all day. You know, it's like, yeah. it's also a coffee shop. And I'm like, hey, um, I got to start making a bigger chunk because I'm bringing in people. And they're like, well, normally we don't even um, pay our musicians. <laughs> so we trade it for food. I'm like, I can sit at home and do that. Yeah. You know, would you do that to someone who painted? And, you know, eventually I, I stopped working with them. But it's like, it's that mentality that, when people make money, especially the restaurant, they want to save all that money, you know, for other things. And I get it, but you know, if someone else is bringing that money, you can't. The reason why they're bringing that traffic into you, say with bars, if they're bringing in crowds, mm-hmm. bringing in thing, you, it's the very least you can do is give them a chunk of that. Sure. And I don't. And I and I. And how much? places out here make profit margins in alcohol because I see how much they charge out here for stuff and I know they're not paying anywhere near that when they buy it in bulk. Yeah. Because uh, I, I know the prices of some of this stuff. Well, you know, what's they're interesting making. is that they they feel like venues, some venues, some places, mm-hmm. feel like they're in a position to be able to even suggest that they can uh, bargain with the request. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it was a great point. Um, I interviewed um, Erica Kelly from uh, Petty Betty, and uh-huh. she said, you know, do you go into a bar and then when they tell you $10, $10 for the drink, do you say, well, I kind of feel like it's worth eight. No, they kick you out. Yeah. Do, you, do you sit down at a restaurant and say, you know, well, I don't want to pay this much for that. How about this? You don't yeah. bargain with the people and it's, that's unacceptable. Exactly. But then when it comes to musicians, they feel it's, it's, a, it's acceptable to do that. Yeah. And I, I don't understand the mentality. Oh, I, I, I actually understand it because for them it's not about the quality of music, it's how much we can get sound in here for the lowest amount of price. Sure. They bid. And it's just like a rest. it's like in the fast food restaurant. Um, remember, and I think this is a good analogy, remember the one uh, McDouble or a Double Cheese, remember a Double Cheeseburger was a dollar? Mm-hmm. Remember that? You know, I remember there was a time where they were less than a dollar. I mean, I was a little, little kid back sure. then. Sure. But, you know, I'm, I was born in 93. Mm-hmm. Um, so remember when there was, actually, I think a better one. Remember when the Big and Tasty was on the dollar? Yes. Yeah. Which was pretty much the version of the Whopper. It was a bigger burger for a dollar. And then they went with the double cheeseburger because they feel like, well, we were spending too much money on this and we're not getting enough margin, even though they're making money. So we're going to make a smaller burger, but we're going to keep the dollar price point because people will pay that. Yeah. That must be grateful. <laughs> then they decided, well, the extra piece of cheese is costing us about 10 cents. We can only, we don't need two slices of cheese. And then the McDouble began. And then now McDouble's 2.89. But bulk prices are not 300% more. Yeah. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, what's up, everybody? Normally, in the middle of podcasts, they give you a bunch of advertisements. But on the NewOrleansMusicians.com podcast, we like to shout out our members. Today, I've got for you OCD Recording and Production. They're a recording studio based in New Orleans, Louisiana, headed up by musician and engineer Dwayne Simino. And they've been in operation for 15 years. Their most notable projects include the last four Crowbar albums, Down's Purple EP, Kirk Winstein's solo album, Dream in Motion, Exhorters Mourn the Southern Skies, and the upcoming I Am release, which I believe is now finished. And to be fair, those are just the tip of the iceberg. Their catalog speaks for itself. And OCD is open to and has experience with many genres. They're a full-service studio doing tracking, mixing, mastering, and sound design. They also offer professional-level songwriting and compositional support. I've been to his studio, and it's full of custom gear. 
It gives his work a unique sound that you just can't find anywhere else. I did an interview with Dwayne a while back, which you can catch on our podcast and on our site blog at neworleansmusicians.com. And you can also come with us on a studio tour on our YouTube channel, which is at New Orleans Musicians. OCD Recording and Production has a business profile on our site, neworleansmusicians.com, and they're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under at OCD Recording. They also have a website, ocdrecording.com. That about covers it. You really can't go wrong with these guys. I've seen musicians walk in there with a song idea and come out with complete professional sounding works. So I hope to see some of y'all check out our work with Dwayne and subscribe while you're there. Your listenership and viewership helps keep all of this going. And now back to our show. And I think the same thing is with, and I'm sorry to say, but with music. Well, we can get someone who's going to bring in a lot of people. Or we can just say live music and get randoms on the street. And this is a tourist town. So how many people are regulars are actually going to come all the time? So we just need beer that's gonna, a price that's gonna, because they know they're they're tourists, they're gonna pay the money. Yeah. We just need someone to get them in the door and just getting slam drunk. Yeah. Three for ones. Yeah. And (laughs) they'll they'll keep buying all night. Yeah. So what's the cheapest thing to, to do out here? Cover bands, because everyone knows them and there's so many of them. Yeah, and they play the hits. And they can all play the hits. Mm hmm. But we have so many of them. Well, that, we don't need a top band for this. They're going to be drunk anyway. Let's let's see how low we can go. Yeah. And it's a race to the bottom. Because at the end of the day, now McDonald's is having huge uh, price issues. It's like, well, we went so cheap now. Um, and millennials spend, and you know, Gen Z want to pay, spend more money. It's like, well, we're so considered such a bottom of the barrel brand now. How can we actually make ourselves look to compete with it, like Chipotle or sure. you know, or stuff like that? And that's the problem when you get to the this mentality of a fight or a, to the bottom. All you do is cheapen out everything else, so there's nothing. Well, I mean, left. to me, that's the essence of all business. I, I don't think so. There's a, the, a lot of business. Yes, really is a lot of business. What do you think, as a consumer, is the solution, or what do you think, as a musician, is the solution to this problem? We need to start demanding quality. We need to start making sure quality is heard, heard to, adhered to, because there's a certain point where you're pushing out good talent. For cheaper, less, you know, more readily available, more readily available, and to the point where it's mostly just background noise. Yeah. And does that really make as a high quality music thing for most people? And I guess that's okay because you know it's a drug. But have you also noticed the type of tourist here? It's not the same either. Fifteen, twenty years. You had mentioned that before, I believe, before we started. This used to be a world class destination. There used to be a lot more people with large amounts of money. Why do you think the Astor Hotel was here? And now there's still that amount of people, but more and more. Have you noticed in the last like few years? And I've talked to a lot of people about it. More people with OBX hacks are coming down here. More people who would rather go somewhere else, mm-hmm. but this is what they can afford. Yeah. And the problem is, is when you cheapen out every service. You get to the point where you're getting cheap people who are cheap. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that type of vacation, or no, but when you completely exclude luxury, everything else goes downhill with sure. it. So this race to the bottom is just like, well, they'll accept lower quality because it's cheaper. But what you do is that you exclude the people who say, well, I can afford better and I will spend more, but. If they're not going to give me what I want, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. And I think New Orleans is becoming to that point because, you know, less and less of that uh, return is coming back. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, appealing to a uh, lower income demographic. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you concentrate solely on the cheapest price, you're going to lose, you know, high quality you know, clientele. That's just it. They're they're in a pursuit of quantity over quality. And I think that's the long term the death of most businesses because that cuts your long term viability in place of short term easy profits. Sure. I wouldn't um, think there's much return business in it either. Oh yeah. And like I said, um, 
I know this is someone who plays a lot of weddings and stuff. There's a certain price point of weddings I don't even touch anymore because I know it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like <laughs> I, I always made the joke. There's a different the difference between a, a $500 client and a $50,000 client. One will bug you for everything and get every little thing of their money, every little penny out. They will change plans at the last minute. They will expect you top business and the other one will pay you $50,000 and say, thank you for your business, here's your money. Yeah. That's funny, huh? It's the reality <laughs> of the world. Yeah. We put short-term ease. And I think that's just the basic a lot of people want. People want to do things the easy way. Sure. And I don't think... I know this brings in some moral and, and questionable idea. And I, and I know this is turning less amusing, more of a... Of a uh, philosophical idea of what people should or should be I just don't think always going for the least the path of least resistance is always there's a time where you should go with the flow there's nothing wrong with that but there's also times where you gotta be like are we going with the flow or are we just being lazy here <laughs> and we're being cheap well and anything that anything that will um, encourage um, someone to be indiscriminate I don't think it's healthy because no. it's, it's brainless it's too easy exactly to to not pay attention to things it's too easy to uh, like you said they'll have background music instead of the event being uh, focused on the entertainment you know mm. and, and so everybody can get smashed you know when you were uh, traveling I'm, I'm guessing um, you enjoyed uh, more discriminate crowds yes overseas yes yes even out here when you're a touring act you get usually the more like oh this guy's coming all the way out here to do it, something yeah I mean it's, it's always been like that oh, you yeah. gotta leave here oh, yeah, to yeah. come back here to get paid here exactly yeah. and that's that's one thing I I realized and that's pretty much everywhere the best way to see that's why like it was like before the pandemic I was on the road sometimes 253 300 days a year and I'm like that's great but out here it's like and I think this is just I think that it's not just here that's the problem because everyone's old New Orleans is like this no I think that's a bigger problem than in I think in the United States right now we've come to the point where years of trying to get to the bottom barrel of anything has reduced so much of cultural or of ideology or identity into sure. a cheap commercial product that we've lost the people feel they've lost the value well, I mean there's, there's economic pressures nationwide that we all endure so exactly. I think it becomes it becomes almost a necessity to stay competitive you know oh well, there's nothing wrong with comp competition competition's great yeah but I also think that competition while reducing profit margins to the point where you're only getting the lowest margin at that point sure is that really competition or is that just how long do you want people to start bleeding or what happens is like when I was in Cleveland one of them, well I never stayed in Cleveland I went to visit all the time. Almost every musician, even the good ones out there, had two or three other jobs. <laughs> and I'm like, like what? Yeah. <laughs> like how? What? Like what? No, no. This is this is your job. This yeah. is this is. They should pay a bills. You should buy anything. I mean, I'm not trying to be rude, but this is this is a legitimate career. Sure. And people don't. Now, and a lot of people realize it. But when you get to places where, especially with there's less economic development. People don't see that as that. But then again, and again, that just comes to the point of how cheap we can get people to do things. Sure. And I think long term, that's a plague. And it's not just in music, it's everything. Because if you go too cheap, you're not going to get anything you want. You're not going to, you just erase the bomb. Or we, now we have people working two or three jobs just to have be, afford a single apartment absolutely and food and rent and it's like well and they're like well this happened because no this is because of that race to the bottom yeah we went so cheap that we've tried to outpace the cost of living by taking shortcuts sure and the problem is entire societies fall for, because of that what were some of the places that you performed um, some of the ones that you look back on fondly I guess you know Oddly enough, some of the best venues I have, at least statewide, were like, it's weird in the United States because you either get to the small towns that have, you know, 
a relatively wealthy population. And they're open arms, and they're like, oh, come see my family. Oh, could you do this? Oh, come, we'll take you to dinner and stuff. Or it's the larger cities. Um, everything in between can be either great or lackluster. It's, it, it's, it's really interesting. Again, but it all again, it's the economic ability of people. I don't think people people want to celebrate music. People want to enjoy mu good music. People want all these things. It's not this is like oh Americans don't appreciate it because they can't. No, it's because they just can't right now. Yeah, most people can't. It's become a luxury, and I think that's a tragedy. Right. And but I mean, you you experienced um, a, the opposite in certain points in oh, your uh, in your career uh -huh. so far. Uh, what were some of the places where you saw it uh, thriving, healthy? Oh. A lot of when I was abroad. It was Japan just because the idea... In Tokyo, unless you're in like the rich part of the district, you can get a good apartment for $500 a month. And people were making enough money where they were could enjoy themselves. Lots of, sometimes when you work, people work to the point where they didn't have time for that. But on the weekends, when they weren't working, they enjoyed themselves. Yeah. It wasn't usually a problem if they lacked money, like here. Um, I think one of the most interesting, so that's why I love playing in Asia, because I was always treated well, play, paid well, and enjoyed it. But one, one thing I, I think was one that was interesting, I went to a small um, village in the mountains of northern Japan. This was in Fukushima about three months before the uh, disaster that happened in March. So this was in like November, December of 2010. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to these like small farming communities. And you know, and farmers are like, well, how much money can you really make as farming? Um, but because of the rice farmers and they are subsidized for the gov by the government, they make so much. It was the first time I went to someone's house. They actually invited after show, invited me to their house, and it's like these old, nice little country estate houses. And this is 2010, so you know, flat screens are you know expensive as hell. Sure, there's one in every room. We're like, oh, <laughs> they would open up their house for me, and they would you know we'd have meals with them. We would talk. Nice. Uh, and, I, and I know Japanese. You know, they can sin. I can speak Japanese, so it's not a problem. But, you know, it, it, it's once I got past that barrier, you know, it, it was it was just such a inviting yeah. process. Sure. And in and, and, and a place where people had the money to actually be able to enjoy things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's a little hard because right now they're going through a little bit of a recession. They've been for a bit now. But, you know, I still feel it's a lot better than out here because people out here are... Of, especially New Orleans. I mean, I love this city. I love New Orleans. This is like every time I walk down this Royal Street, I see like this is what heaven looks like. All these old buildings, these beautiful. I mean, this is one of the most beautiful cities in the world, especially United States. In my opinion, the most beautiful city in the United States. So, it has its grittier side. It can be very gritty, but it's just it's beautiful here. Sure. But underneath that, I just feel like so much of people are just trying to get buying this place yeah um again i mean we've been talking since i got here before we started mm -hmm. recording we were talking about uh the, the desperation exactly um and it causes people it causes a seedier side to come out you yeah know and, that's, I mean? and that's been evident and it scares me because i feel like no matter where you get past that point out here there's going to be a point where especially new orleans as beautiful as it is there's there's got to be some major changes before we get to the point where people can, I think, can really enjoy our lives. Because most of the people, especially who work down there, they don't really enjoy any of it. They get, they work, and they come home. Right. Yeah. No. There's work. no. There's no disposable income. There's no extra time. Exactly, and that scares me because it's like, how 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 to live? Yeah. It's existing. It's not living. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This is a city where the locals exist and they don't live, and it's like. Uh, that brings up another point where I was saying, like, I don't do a lot of proper gigs out of here. I do when they're well-paying, but I do a lot of busking because I make four or five times that in a day, in a few hours, and I would make a whole day doing just shows out here. And it gives me more time to enjoy yeah. stuff. Like, I, I have a fiancé now. She's, she's on the other side of this room, actually. But, you know, it's like, um, you know, we... we to actually be able to enjoy some of the things that, that people who visit here, not locals, can enjoy is an amazing feeling. Sure. And now things are even getting better and better for us. I mean, when we were first year, it was hard, but now it's you know getting to the point where we can actually enjoy more. But, you know, there's just so much of this city that I just don't see. You never see the locals enjoy. Like, we have 
a very beautiful zoo out here. We have a beautiful aquarium out here. We have some of the best parks in the country. They're beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I rarely see people who actually have, who work out or actually enjoy them. Yeah. Um, give, us, give us some uh, busking strategies. Give us uh, like words of advice. Oh, what's the best one I can do? If you're gonna do it, be good. Do be, not only in your plane, but to other people around you. Um, we have, and everyone who knows the busking community out here knows is that some of the people out here will set up on top of people and cause fights, but usually those people who can't make money anyway. Um, be good to your fellow people. Be respectful of, your, uh, of, your, of where you are. Clean up when you're done. Um, be good to the people around you. Yeah. Because doing this is just as much of a people skill thing as it is a musical thing. But on top of that, be good mu making music because if you're not good, you're going to make nothing. Yeah. It's one of those things like it's a sink or swim. And the fact that I've been able to swim every single day without a problem, it goes, shows that you know there's a quality there. So be good at what you do. Do what you want to be. Be unique. Please be unique, because it's literally, um, it was me and Tanya, she's another violinist, and we, uh, we oh, nice, sorry, uh, 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 we, uh, I try, we try not to, you know, overlap each other on the days, Sure. but it just seems as soon as we, I start playing, and I, people start looking at my case, there's to be like tons of other violinists, some of them really can't play, showing up everywhere. Yeah. Oh, it was funny because the first, like, when we started doing this every day, which was like the end of April, because I mean, I was doing other shows and stuff like that, but I was like, you know, I'm making more money doing this, so I started going all the time. There was like, no, but between the second month we're doing it, we see other violinists trying to grab the spots we usually do because we noticed a few days ago they were looking at our thing and like, hmm, like seeing That's how much show we had. Yeah. And of course, they didn't make anywhere near it. It's like, why? And it's like, Gotta, it's quality too it's yeah. like like everyone who passed they see oh yeah you, you definitely do orchestra oh yeah you have like or I've, I've seen you before like I've seen people who've come up several times and say hey are you Justin Curry and like I've seen you play live before I'm like what are you doing here I'm like well yeah. <laughs> I make more doing this out here than I do most of so um, if you want to see a big one like at proper shows we have uh, a big one happening October 19th okay um, at the Marini Opera House and that's going to be a huge event um, that's going to be premiering my um, my next album, so I'm excited about that. Awesome. But you know those those shows are much more further far between compared to like I'm just going to go out for a few hours and just play and make a few hundred bucks and be done. And and that's the one thing. It's like if you can do do your work, do your thing, be good at what you do, because it's not just it's not about making money. It's, no, it's really nice to make money. Yeah. It's about being adding to wherever you are. Sure. And I think that's what people forget about doing this. Like, it's with any art. You're not just being there like, oh, background noise. No, no, add to your environment. Um, one thing we're lucky about is just the neighborhood where we, we were here doing busking on that corner on Toulouse, because we're right by Toulouse and uh, um, uh, Royal. Yeah. And we used to set up all the time. Everyone on this street knows us. All the neighbors know us. Yeah. All the shop owners know us. They give us stuff. They give us discounts. Nice. They love us because every time we're here, we bring customers. We have good conversations. Um, everyone loves our music. Like half the people on this block have one of our CDs. Some of them have, have all of our, our our albums. And you know, it's it's like that. We added to the environment, and we're loved and respected here. Sure. Because we, you know. Not only we play music, but we're respectful to our neighbors. We they love what we do. We're not too loud. We're always you know we're, we're, we always do. I mean, we're very very good to the neighborhood, and this is why one of the reasons we moved here because we add to this neighborhood. Sure. And that's something you have to understand as a busker or just doing anything because it's still a stage. It's just a stage on a street. Um, and eventually we're planning to have this place ready to be as a small venue too so we can bring more stuff inside but the biggest thing is that if you're going to do this it's your home it's a street corner but these are where people live this is where people do business and you have to be part of that sure be a good neighbor and don't just make noise for the sake of noise because eventually even if you make a dollar 
the police are going to come and probably shoot you off eventually. <laughs> Let me ask. Um, in other places, is that relationship the same where you are making more money busking than you are performing? Or is that just unique to here now? It all depends on the city. Like, I used to always... When I was lived in cities, I lived in Chicago, I've lived in L.A., I've done New York City. I used to practice inside a lot, which if you have really good neighbors, they love you for it. But I always started doing, you know, I always, every place that allows you to play outside and practice, I yeah. would. Because no matter what, you're going to make a few hundred bucks. And if I'm going to be doing it anyway, I might as well make some extra money doing what I have to do anyway mm -hmm. between shows. Um, I'll be oddly enough, New Orleans is really hit and miss. We average about 200 300 200 about $200 a day. But if I did the same thing in like Los Angeles, just practicing around having fun, I'd probably make five or 600 bucks. Do you think that's directly related to the cost of living and, and wages? It's just, it's just income. People have disposable. New Orleans, well, let's put it in this way. People come here to get drunk. So they, they put all their money to get drunk. Sure. And some people come from the art, but that's usually in the daytime or the weekends. Um, so they'll throw your money in. I get a lot of people stare, a lot, who will clap for me. A lot of people that will take videos of me. Not always with money because, you know, you know they want to spend it on booze. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. I'm still making several hundred a day. That's not a problem. Um, but locals don't have the money to do that. I've been lucky from locals, they'll maybe once in a while they'll throw a ten in. But that's because they love they love us personally, but they can't afford to do that every day. Again, sure. this this place doesn't pay for that. When you go into like Los Angeles, even the locals they have money. And if they really like it, drop a few hundred dollars in there. Yeah. I've had that happen before. Um, some locals here will do that too. But like I said, especially in the summertime it's slow like that. So I mean this Right. Yeah, being a tourist town, it's seasonal. Yeah. yeah. And right now we're in the weird time and we're we're still making good money even during the slowest part of the year, so I, I'm not complaining. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is that you can do it anywhere that allows it. And even some places you're not technically allowed to do it. It's all depends and, and and again this goes to bias. Um I was in Chicago once, um and I was, uh, it was after I lived there, and I was doing a show there. And I wanted to have fun, you know, warm up my violin. I was on a train all day. And I'm like, well, my violin hasn't. I, I'm going to just play a couple of things in the subway. Well, I, this was at the, was it Jackson? Which subway stop is it? Because I usually have fun. And you're supposed to have a, uh, uh, a permit to do down there. Ah. But here's the funny part. And this is, this is, this is terrible. Um, these two kids were just drumming down there. You know, they, they had to be like late teens, early 20s. Mm. Or maybe even just high schoolers. You know, just to get some extra money for the weekend. Please, as soon as they do it, come around, grab them, and say, pile out. We don't need that down here. And literally, I set up, like two minutes after they're sent packing, same police officers, like, excuse me, I'm just here to practice. I just want to play. He's like, are you having your case open? I was like, no. I'm like, I just want to practice before my show, and I'm wearing a suit, a full suit. I look professional. Yeah. And I'm following my thing. So oh, that's your First Amendment right, no problem. And I'm like, okay. You Very just kicked out. I, you know, oh, well, it's not technicality. No, it's not a technicality <laughs> because those kids didn't even have buckets open. Uh, I just look like someone who, who has money enough not to be bothered. It, sure. And, and that's the thing. And I, it's terrible, but look like you you're not worth the trouble and people don't bother you with that. You yeah. sound good and amazing, people don't bother you. So it's, it's another thing like that. It's, it's weird. Rules are very, especially when it comes to stuff like that, are very yeah. situational. Situationally enforced, that's sure. what I should say. Now, uh, you had mentioned uh, before we started that you were considering moving again. Y'all haven't been here too long mm -hmm. present day. Um, but you're considering moving again soon? Uh, in the next few months, I love, I mean, or maybe in a year, I love this city. Matter of fact, I would like to be here, this place, even if just it's a place to hold down while we travel. Sure. But business-wise, I want to start getting back where we can make more money. I, this is a great city to have a second place, maybe play a little bit and come and sit back and relax. Sure. New Orleans, for me, is what... It's a beautiful place. It's a great place just to sit back and enjoy. 
and there's no other colonial city. You know, the, the architecture, just it's just going down Royal Street, and you see those old buildings and the flags flying, and it's like, like of different nations and old empires, and it's like, yes, this is a beautiful spot built in the old way, and you don't have many of those places left on this continent, sure. especially in the United States. If, if they're there, but they're like in the form of like colonial islands and whatnot, you'll find in Puerto Rico, you'll find some in Jamaica, you'll find some uh, what's left in, I'm not sure there's much left in Haiti, uh, Haiti with that. I wouldn't, I but, wouldn't think so. <laughs> but, you know, in Puerto Rico, they still have beautiful things. In, in yeah. Cuba, they still have the beautiful cities like this, all built in the old French or Spanish style. Sure. Um, but in the United States proper, there's not, you know, colonized, there's not many places like this left. <clears throat> and it's historically when I think one of the most important parts of the country is overlooked. And I think those places should be more than just a place, as a place to drink. Yeah. It's, there is something magical to this city. And I think if people would, I don't know, develop that, pay people more, maybe make things a little bit easier for the people here, I think we could really make this, this city would be amazing. Yeah. But instead, again, they want to make it the cheap and easy way, just drink, 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 and that's all they advertise out here. I think New Orleans, there's so much more to the city. There, there really is. Um, I mean, you can drive an hour or two in, in any direction and um, completely change the scenery around you. Exactly. You know, the influence, the history, the scenery, all mm. those things. Just not another city like this in this country. Yeah, I believe it, man. Um, repeat for them, please. Uh, you said you had an album coming out soon and oh. you've got a performance coming up. Yes, um, my third original album, Between Worlds, will be released on October 19th, at least a uh, performance version. We're still trying to get everything set up for the actual digital release. Yeah. Um, and that's going with the Marini Opera House. Marini Opera House. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is not a solo. Oh, this is a solo. Oh, this, this is, is solo? My, yeah, this okay. is my entire thing. It's a solo violin album. Okay. Um, and one more note is I want to make to the people out here. One of the things I've... Uh, I think for other musicians and stuff, especially in this, and other people who want to listen to this, I think one of the things that um, you have to invest yourself is more than just in the music, it's who you keep in your company. Uh -huh. um, and I've been lucky, I have a very wonderful fiance right now, and she's pulled me through so many decisions and so many ideas and so many things that for a lot of people would sink them. And I would recommend if, and I know this is a weird thing to put on a music review, but I just think that if you really want to get to a place and be solid in that, find yourself a partner. Not even just doesn't be romantic. Find yourself someone that, that shares your beliefs. Sure. Because I'm going to tell you something. As someone who's done this for years by myself, and I, and I used to do it all by myself, I've made so many things happen that in such a quick time and such change that I couldn't see myself doing a few years back again. Sure. Find people that believe in you. I think that's the most important part is being a musician. Yeah, so. man. Um, oh, also, one last thing. You had just announced um, one of your more regular gigs. You have a residency somewhere. Maybe you can oh, tell them where to come see you. You're sitting right here. This is 536 uh, Royal Street. We're still have to get the spot. This place is going to be turned into a small venue by the time we're done at it. Gotcha. Um, this is a 300-year-old house, a Lao Saxon house. It was owned by the poet and author Lao Saxon from the 20s up to his death. Uh, this has been a very a gathering place for many poets, artists, musicians. Yeah. Um, John Steinbeck, the artist, you know, Grapes of Wrath. Um, <coughs> he was married in that courtyard that's sitting behind us. Awesome. Um, uh, the playwright Sinclair Lewis also wrote several plays here as well. This is... A very magical place. Inspirational hotbed. Huh? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be anywhere else. This yeah. house has an energy to it that we just fully moved here a few days ago. But the whole um, feeling of this place is inviting. It's warmth. It's definitely haunted. I, if anyone believes in ghosts, I saw like someone pull out like the side of right there. No one was there when I looked around the corner. But you know, it, it's never a dark presence. It's one of the most warmest, comforting presence being in this house as a creative. Yeah. It's just very inviting. 
And we're hoping to have this eventually, if everything turns out right, into a full venue eventually. So, awesome. again, that's that's actually the one of the reasons why we stayed this long. If it wasn't for this, we would have left uh, this maybe a month ago was the plan for us to, to leave the city. Gotcha. And this just, you know, it seems like, and another thing about New Orleans is just as soon as we're about to get all our plans moving, something has pulled us back in. Pulls you back in, that's the right. First time we tried to do that was the end of April, and then we got pulled back in for a place that says, oh, we want you to play music, we did that. And then at the June, we were like, well, we're about to, we're about to head out, and then something else pulled us in, and now we're about to leave, like, you know, end of July, early August, and yeah. it's like, oh, hey, you want to... Not so fast. Yeah. And I'm like... <laughs> yeah. This city just pulls you in. And as like I said, I, I, I don't want to leave. Yeah. I, I would love to stay here. But until things get to the point where I think that... And I think New Orleans can get to that point. But it's going to have to come for us as musicians because the city council isn't going to do anything. And the restaurants and the bars, they're making so much money off of as things are, they're not going to do anything. If you want to see a change in this place, it's going to have to be from us. Yeah. So, what can I say? Expect good things from us, sir. Maybe a little bit of change here might start something brand new. So, keep this place in mind. So. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thank, Thank you for you. your time, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Check it out. We all pretty much start off like jam bands. We get together, we push our souls out through the speakers. We look around the stage and read off of one another and... You know, after so much time, we know where the next person is going. Aside from those connections, we build connections with the fans, and that means the world to us. That's why listeners like yourself are so important to us. We'd love to have you back, so hit the button and follow the show. You can also support this show by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash New Orleans Music. That's buymeacoffee.com slash New Orleans Music. And remember, you can find music videos, albums, articles, and interviews with bands like my own, Pocket Chocolate, on NewOrleansMusicians.com. Thanks for listening.